Last December, heavy metal band Damage Plan took the stage at the El Rosa Villa. During their first set, more than 200 anxious fans packed the concert hall to hear the group and one of the country's most known guitarists, Dimebag Daryl Abbott, play. But just a few minutes into their first song, trouble broke out. You can see shooter Nathan Gale in a black jacket and baseball cap charging on a stage and pulling out a gun. He was headed straight for Dimebag Daryl, the band's lead guitarist. The crowd, shocked, unbelievably didn't move. Someone on stage cried for help. While Dimebag Daryl lays on stage with band members, even fans trying to resuscitate him, there's chaos. Police say minutes after Gale shot Dimebag, he takes a hostage and reloads his gun behind a speaker. In a matter of five minutes, Gale fired 15 shots before Officer James Niggemeyer took him down with one single shot. A single shot that saved lives. Moments later, Officer Niggemeyer steps in front of the camera, shotgun in hand, a blank look on his face. by the good people at the Bod Belly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on why Welcome, everybody, episode 271 of the Art Jacob Do America podcast. I'm your host, in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P., and sitting right across from me is not the Brown Recluse Mr. Art Trail, because the Art Trail has a case of the poopski whoopski. Uh, but sitting to my digital left is the Brown Recluse, uh, one of the backup uh, understudies for the Latin kings of comedy. Uh, Art. <laughs> say it's hello coming, to- dude. Yeah. Art, say hello to the millions millions what the fuck is going on this is kind of an awkward setup for me on my side i don't know i know you guys can't see this or does it affect you guys in any way but it's kind of weird because i got two screens in front of me it's kind of weird i feel like i'm in the back cave right now <laughs> uh, but guys go to cavemancoffee.com check out their entire inventory you know what won't give you the poops or maybe it will give you the poops if you need it uh caveman coffee guys go to cavemancoffee.com check out their entire inventory they got the coffee beans they got the cow butter they got the Hibiscus tea, the sweatpants, they got everything, dude. Everything you were, your heart will ever desire, they got it there. So guys, go to kmanatcoffee.com, use promo code AMERICA, check out your see 50% off. Take a picture of yourself wearing the hats, drinking the hibiscus tea, drinking the nitro cold brew. Mm. Uh, tell Martin Jacob sent you. Yes. So, 
with that said everybody make sure you check out our other sponsor guys i need everybody to go in their uh, street fighter uh, 2 airplane and go across the globe and head over to south africa now you guys log into sucreapparel.com where the great and powerful nicole smith bosch who is in vacation in greece right now shout out to her that, that keeps sending those pictures those are lovely baby uh, if you want to help uh, that trip over to greece i need you to head on over to sucreapparel.com check out the great array of merchandise that nicole has designed with her own two hands uh, she's got t-shirts she's got mugs she's got satchels she got everything that you can slap a super apparel logo on so go on over there buy everything that you like uh, and when you fill up your cart before you hit checkout guys make sure you enter promo code art and jacob and nicole will give you 10 yeah, that's right everybody 10 percent off your entire purchase but art we're not here today to talk about nicole smith bosch's wonderful and envious trip over to greece or uh art's uh, bowel movements for an hour and some change art what are we here to talk about today? yeah you know, we're here to talk about stalkers. This is an episode, an idea. If you listen to our Richard Ramirez episode, um, we had a friend of the show, Yudira, was on. And then she kind of just drops this, like, nugget talking about stalkers. I think she said that, like, when she was in college or something like that, mm -hmm. or, like, at some point in her youth, she, uh, she was like, I had a stalker and I was afraid for my life. And I was like, you know what? That's I don't want to say like that's a great story, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's unfortunate. Like, it's an unfortunate story, and it's an unfortunate thing that happens in life. But I was like, man, it'd be really cool to to tell those stories, just because it's a real thing, like a real occurrence, and it doesn't get as um, it doesn't get as much like uh, attention as like if we did a true crime murder right because mm -hmm. obviously in the murder like shit already went to the extreme but like with with stalkers and like like you know even like a peeping tom or something like that like mm -hmm. no one ever covers that shit because it's like it's not a lot of these aren't even enough to like file a police report yeah but i think covering two stalkers and we're going to cover two separate cases today two stalkers that like shit went to the extremes like th mm -hmm. these two cases are pretty famous not you know we kind of kicked around i won't even mention the other case that we kicked around earlier in a text conversation because i was like well we gotta eventually cover that case because that's probably the most famous stalking case yeah but like these two are up there and they're like both musicians that that you know we're both music nerds i i'm gonna spoil the lead here a little bit you know that way you guys have a little idea what we're talking about here but one of them is uh is dying back from pantera damage plan but um um and the other one is bjork and both of them i think in in a lot of ways i as much as you know i i i've talked about bjork a bunch of times and how much i love bjork's music um pantera has always been one of those bands for me that like I hate Phil Ensemble. Like, and it's like, I, <laughs> I think you're not alone in the like, middle world when you say that. It, it's such, it's such a, it's such a shame because like, I don't dislike Pantera. Like one of my favorite songs ever is, um, what's that one song they did for the Dragula 2000 soundtrack? Um, oh, avoid the light. Uh, avoid the light. Like I fucking love that song. Like it's one of my favorite songs in general ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of lot to love when when it comes to Pantera, 
But man, Phil is like a fucking like I, that's one of those things that always pushes me away. It would be like I love Nine Inch Nails, but if like Kid Rock was the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> I'd probably not be. I probably wouldn't be that into Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> I do not ever in my lifetime or the next ever want to picture Kid Rock. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bad ass yeah. and I'm really depressed. No, like the the music. The music's the same, but like yeah, no, yeah, I know. But like every oh, the lyrics too. But like it's the songs in between. The the everything's the same, like lyrics, everything. But then all of a sudden, he like between songs and stuff like that, he comes I out dressed like in his like today. Apollo Creed. Yeah, like he comes out in like his like Apollo Creed American flag <laughs> shit, and he's just like talking about like we Trump or like some shit like that. Like when he was like Republican, yeah, yeah. Re- <laughs> I do not want to ever picture that again. Or that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a terrible, terrible, that's a world, terrible right? image. I can, I can just picture like Trent Reznor, like you know, very serious, like okay, uh, Mr. Rock, um, I'm gonna have you sing this song. Uh, it's about suicide and depression, and you know, overcoming that. Yeah, can I drink a Bud Light? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I before I before E, except after Bud Light. <laughs> but wiser <laughs> it's a can of beer anyways we're not here to I'm talk about to yeah fuck kid rock but anyways uh pantera that is one of the bands that i just absolutely adore and to an extent i do agree with you about phil and selmo i do i do appreciate what he bring to the band um as far as like you know his vocal ability and like he wrote some really good songs. Walk uh, is, is one of the all-time greatest. Uh, Mouth for War. Like there's a lot of Pantera songs. Like Five Minutes Alone. I'm broken. Like those. Are, like when I fantasize that you know one day I'm gonna fight Khabib Nurmagomedov like for the fucking lightweight title. Like there's a lot of Pantera songs that I throw throw around in my head. Like those would be my walkout songs if I was ever to fight Khabib for the lightweight title. Uh, if he ever comes out of retirement or whatever, right? Uh, but like Pantera, it's like it's it's like genuine metal. And it, the reason for that is is because, yeah, okay, Phil's voice, but you said it. It's the it's it's the Abbott brothers, both Vinny and Dimebag Daryl, um, you know, guitar player and drummer for Pantera. Like they're the machine, they're the engine that drives that machine. Like, don't get it twisted. Yeah, they're in many ways, they mirror what Van Halen was. Yeah, Van Halen had David Lee Roth, you know, fronting that band for many years. And then eventually it became Sammy Hagar and whatnot. And then I think Gary Sharon somewhere down the line. But Van Halen is only Van Halen when the Van Halen brothers, the drummer and guitar player, are in that band. It once they're gone, that band ceases to exist. The same with Pantera. And I know they recent there's a reunion going on where Zach Wilde and uh the drummer for uh Anthrax, um uh, Benanti, you know, he they jumped in and they're going to do a reunion tour with uh, Phil and Rex, the original bass player. But any Pantera, because you need the Abbott brothers there because they were they were the, the, the fucking soul of that band. And maybe even to like an, a more nth degree, Dimebag was even more of that soul, because when you to me, like when I think of Pantera, I think of Dimebag. I think of like the fucking the weird ass goatee that is like the the flying V fucking uh, guitar uh thing you think about his like just bubbly personality and his like genuine joy 
of just playing guitar, like doing what he loved for a living. How many people could say that in their lifetime that they actually did what they loved for a living or whatever, right? But like he just had like that genuine, like little kid joy every time you saw him on the stage or every time you saw him like, you know, shredding like in a guitar center, doing like a guitar clinic. Like he just had like this genuine, never ending joy. Uh, for the for playing the guitar which was just so infectious especially me being like a guitar player like it just motivated you even more like seeing someone who's just like you know what like i'm just gonna continue to get better and there there's a really good guitar world um article where it was like him and then like some other guitar player and then like kim tile from soundgarden and like they were talking about like you know that you know their influences and whatnot and Kim Tyel, like, who's like a really good guitar player, like, don't get it twisted, but like, he like had like this like whole like gatekeeper mentality. He was like, oh, I was just always turned off by kids that were trying to replicate, you know, Eddie Van Halen and whatnot. Like, it just totally turned me off, and I knew I wanted to do something different. And then Dimebag just kind of like just like railroads him. He goes, dude, I was totally that kid that was trying to emulate Van Halen. Like, I loved that because it gave me so much joy in life. And it kind of turned that conversation around from being like this elitist, like, oh, I am an artist to like, dude, if you're not having fun on guitar, then like, what's the fucking point kind of thing? So I always appreciated that about Dimebag. And he was a hell of a guitar player as well. Like, it's like there's so many riffs that they're fucking difficult to play. But once you master them, they are just so fun. And like even his guitar solos, like floods, like that guitar solo and floods, it's just so soulful. And so it's just so beautiful. It's like the definition of art. So for me, like Dimebag, like that's one of my all-time favorite guitar heroes of all time. Yeah, no, that, that's I I agree with you. I think I think it I I think it's uh I think it's wonderful. I think he's like I, I think that that band, even even Phil, like all come across as being like really genuine. Mm-hmm. uh genuine people um even i just i don't i just don't like phil <laughs> um but but really quickly you said that thing about like you know he was totally that guy and he was totally that guy like early pantera is not what most people remember when they think of pantera like no when they were like fucking you know hair metal pantera um but it's i, I just you mentioned earlier on the Patreon, we were talking about spirit box and you were like, Oh dude, they sound like a lot of other bands, like whatever. But like, like I think sometimes it's, it is, you do sound like a lot of bands, like early Pantera. There's nothing special about early Pantera, but at the same time, like you, you, you even, even early Pantera when it's like, What's that one album they have where it's like shitty cartoons as the album cover. (laughs) I can't remember what that album's called. Yeah. It's it's like, Uh, creatures but, of the night or something like that and like it's like a yeah it's like something a, like that it's an actual panther like in like a leotard and like spandex chonies and stuff like oh, with a ninja yeah, sword it's a terrible like fucking yeah but they were but kids even then it's like they were could, 12 years old no i know <laughs> but you could always tell like i feel like you can always it you can just spot it like there's there is an it factor to two things whether it be the developed version of it like i remember the first time i heard code orange on that first album, like that is not Code Orange. Fast forward to like when they do like now where they are now, like they yeah. don't even sound like the same band. But there is that special factor to it, and I feel like even back then, like you know that special factor was there. Like there is a special factor, like something mm-hmm. about this 
it doesn't sound like whatever, like it doesn't sound like the most unique style of, of rock. A lot of it was very hair metal-ish, mm-hmm. but there is a special thing there. And like that, like the syntax of it is like the, the, the thing that is captivating to me about, about artists in general, you know, you know, they're not early nine Nails is not where it is now, but you know, you there's, you knew Trent Reznor was special from like, from the get go. Like it yeah. was like, damn this guy's amazing yeah but yeah i mean let's get into it let's i mean obviously we did a little bit of like ask and hero, hero worshiping here with with uh with pantera and, and um and dimebag and, and especially for dimebag mm-hmm. um uh did you ever really quickly did you ever see any of like damage plan i know we were probably really young we were like high school like early high school age when damage plan was out touring mm-hmm. They came out like in 04. So that was literally like a year out from high school for me. So no, unfortunately I didn't see damage plan. Uh, I did have an opportunity to see here in Bakersfield Slayer and Pantera do a co-concert together. And I was like, mm, I got to work. And I was working at McDonald's at this time. I was like, I got to make my car. I got to make my, my T-Mobile bill <laughs> this month. I got to, I got to pay that off. So like I didn't want to call out to go to it. And I was like, oh, we'll be other opportunities to see Pantera, and that's like the one. I remember that tour, dude. That yeah, that was the one regret that I had because I was like, X was on that tour. Yeah, and I was just I, I just kicked myself to this day. That and Prince when Prince came to Bakersfield, I was like, fuck, I should have gone, but I was too scared to ask for those days off. Um, but oh well. Yeah, you can't be can't be scared, but. Um... Yeah, I never. I, I saw. I saw. Hell yeah, which is uh, mm-hmm. Benny Paul's other one down the line bands. Mm-hmm. I saw Hell yeah, and Hell yeah sucked. <laughs> but like, but uh, yeah. Anyways, that was about as close as to Pantera as I'll ever get to see. Was I saw Hell yeah? One fourth of the equation, kind of thing. Yeah, um, one fourth I- of the equation it had like the dude from Mudbane in it. <laughs> I did get to meet uh, Vinnie Paul two times in Las Vegas. I guess later on in the story or whatever, he moves out to Vegas uh, because you know he didn't want to be in Dallas anymore because Pantera was from Dallas, and he got sick of people asking him, you know, how he's doing, and you know, sorry about your brother. So he moved out to Vegas to live the rest of his years out there. Uh, but we ran into him just happenstance, like he was in the Mandalay Bay. I was in the Mandalay Bay. Uh, I had a Dallas Cowboys hat on and a Metallica t-shirt. He said, Hey, you Dallas Cowboy fan, get over here and take a picture with me. And Vinnie Paul asked to take a picture with me. So I thought that was funny. So I'll probably put a picture on for the the YouTube video on that and maybe clip that in, but not, but, uh, rest in peace also to Vinnie Paul who died in 2018, but from a broken heart. But, um, like you said, let's go ahead and get into it. We are on zoom and, uh, zoom only gives us like 40 minutes to record. So, um, Obviously, yeah. um, to spoil the lead, uh, this this stalker tale uh, ends in tragedy in actual the actual death of Dimebag Daryl. So, on uh, December eighth, two thousand and four, uh, two shows away from concluding their very first uh, tour, uh, after starting their new band after Pantera uh, Damage Plan in support of you know their new album uh, in Columbus, Ohio, at the Al Rosa Villa nightclub. Uh, Dimebag Daryl, along with four other people, including the shooter, uh, died at the nightclub that night. And as well as three other people were injured. Uh, Mr. Nathan Gale, the shooter, who was a 25-year-old uh, former Marine, 
uh, jumped a six foot fence uh, as a uh, damage plan was playing their very first song uh, and shoots dime bag in the head. And the way that it was always presented like on MTV news, I just always figured that, you know, he was in the crowd, pulls out a gun and then just shoots dime bag in the head. And like, that was it kind of thing. But I guess like he jumps on stage, yells at dime bag says, Hey, you're the reason why Pantera broke up, gets him in a chokehold, um, shoots him four times, uh, point blank range, uh, once in the right cheek, once in the left ear, uh, once in the back of the head and once in the right hand, which, you know, for a guitar player, you need that, you know, to strum, you know, the guitar or whatnot. And I was like, holy shit, like that, the way that the article, I believe it was Rolling Stone was describing it, like it was heart wrenching because like, it wasn't just like, Hey, I'm going to shoot you. Boom. You're dead kind of thing. And you know, you hope like dying bag didn't suffer at all. Like, no, this was very much like a fucking torturous event or whatnot. Right. So, you know, Gail, uh, he jumps on stage, he kills dime bag and whatnot. Obviously people are scattering like roaches, uh, but also too, he kills four, three other people. Uh, the other being Jeffrey Mayhem Thompson, which was the bodyguard for damage plan. And even going back, you know, a little bit further to Pantera. Uh, he tried to, you know, tackle Nathan Gale and unsuccessfully he gets shot uh, in the chest and in the back. Also a Mr. Aaron Hawk, who was a security employee at the Al Rosa nightclub, who was also trying to subdue Gale. He gets shot in the chest and dies. And this is like a real sad one. Cause like, I feel like, and you know, not to be like the hero of my own movie or whatever, but I can easily see this being me or, you know, one of my friends during this time period. Uh, he also kills a Nathan Bray, who was a fan just in attendance, who jumped on stage hoping to help resuscitate Dimebag because he didn't die right away. Like, that's the fucked up thing. I always yeah. figured he just died right away or whatever, right? Like, he didn't even know what was happening. Uh, but he was, you know, dying on stage, attempts to do CPR, uh, makes eye contact with Nathan Gale, and kind of does, like, the, the whole, like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing, man? And then shoots him point blank in the head and kills him. Uh, then he starts pulling out his gun and starts shooting other people in the, the audience. Uh, injures uh, tour manager Chris Paluca, uh, drum tech John Brooks, as well as roadie Travis uh, Burnett. And, you know, we can get into, you know, the whole details of what got, went on and whatnot. Uh, fortunately, one of the police officers in Columbus came, Mr. Niegemeyer. Uh, he comes and shoots Nathan Gale in the head immediately. That police officer, you know, suffers like lifetime post-traumatic stress. Like it, it's a horrible story on, you know, the police officers. And like he's he's unable to serve as a police officer after this event uh, just because how fucked up the carnage was and whatnot. Right. Uh, but I think it's important to put, you know, put it out there of who this Nathan Gale person was. So uh, Nathan Gale was born. It almost seems like he was born under a bad moon. Because uh, he was born on September 11th, which is like so fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, really quickly, uh, there's a couple of things. And I don't want to, because I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to cover this one is because I thought it was super interesting. Even like the nightclub thing. Like You said that he yelled like, you're the reason that Pantera broke up. So apparently a lot of people didn't even realize that people when he when he went up there they thought like that was part of the act like mm -hmm. he went up there and like people were like kind of like like the band kept playing like no, like nobody really knew what the hell was going on so like you know in typical 
typical like metal fashion like the band keeps going on and um so people were saying like that was kind of not true because nobody could even hear what what the hell was going on all of a sudden it went from like a dude putting him in a chokehold and all of a sudden shooting him and everybody's like it just erupted into chaos um so i mean there was so many like different things that people were saying people were i had heard that the whole like you're the reason pantera broke up and some people were saying like that's not true we couldn't even we were front row we couldn't hear what the fuck Mm -hmm. was going on we thought it was part of the show so like that was an interesting thing and then one of the other things that was really interesting is this was not like his a plan like this was very much and we'll get into who he was but his mm-hmm. original plan was like the night before where he tried to like ambush them. And then apparently he like knocked over a bunch of the guitar, like guitar, um, like stands and stuff like that, that they had set up. And so they basically kicked them out of the show and they were like, get the fuck out of here. Like, and Pantera didn't even re- realize that that had happened. Like, you know, Pantera were in their dressing room, like getting damage ready. Plan. And then like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> damage plan. Didn't even realize Phil that was that not was there. Happening. Phil wasn't there, but like, they were they were just getting ready and like he just went over and like knocked over some guitars and like no no harm no foul kind of thing they thought mm-hmm. he was just like a super eager fan to try to meet damage plan and like kick them out and say get the fuck out of here like you mm-hmm. drunk asshole not realizing that that was the same fucking dude the next fucking show you um, know what's even more fucked up dude is this wasn't the first time that he had done something i didn't see i didn't know about that but I guess a couple months earlier, they were in a different part of Ohio, right? Earlier in the year in support of that album. And the same Nathan Gale fucked up like $1,500 worth of lighting equipment in a different city at the same time. So, like, again, this wasn't his plan A, wasn't also his plan B. It sounds like it was his plan C, if not D. Because uh, previous to the show, there was a lot of people saying like he was outside of the venue, like pacing around the parking lot. And in, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That wasn't. Yeah, and a couple yeah, of patrons. Apparently his, his... A couple Sorry, of patrons were all like, hey, aren't you gonna get in? Like the show's playing. And he's like, I ain't trying to see no shitty local bands. I'm here for damage plan, kind of thing. Yeah, no, apparently, like the original game plan was wait for them as they get out of their bus and then like shoot them when they're like getting out of their bus, mm-hmm. only to realize they were already inside the building when he got there. <laughs> Yeah. So basically his plan was fucked and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to jump this fence mm-hmm. and like get in there. Yeah. And even uh, like which, some of like the roadies and stuff were saying like he kept asking like, hey, is Dimebag out there yet? Is Vinny out there yet? Like he kept asking for them and they kept telling him like, hey, if you don't got a ticket, you need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, no, it was, you know, security was not what it was, what it is now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, events like this, unfortunately, you know, really raise like really raise a uh, security awareness, but this is definitely one that was like, especially at metal shows. This is this is not Pantera at the height. This is Damage Plant playing like nightclubs. Like, yeah, you know, they're playing like Jerry's Pizza. Style. This the 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 nightclub that they were at that night was not very big. Mm-hmm. It was a couple hundred people. Like, you know probably closer to about 500 people but still not the thousands and thousands of people that they were playing to at night when they were pantera correct so i guess to get into nathan gale who he was again born september 11th uh, 1979 in marysville ohio Uh, he was a wrestler and a football player for his local high school team 
uh, later on in life, he would play semi-professional football um, as an offensive lineman, uh, I guess, for the Lima Thunder. Uh, Nathan Gale was a huge guy. He was six foot three. He was a tall. He was a tall glass. He was a tall drink of water, if you will. Uh, Six foot three and I guess 266 pounds. Um, Growing up, he had severe addiction and him and his mom, I guess, like would physically like go at it uh, because of his addiction. He would get kicked out or he would get, you know, arrested for, you know, domestic abuse with his mom and whatnot. Uh, But I guess in February of 2002, which is this kind of this when I read this part of it kind of resonated with me because it was like, oh, shit, like I remember this time and a lot of people as well as myself had like the same sentiment uh, around February of 2002. He felt compelled by the attacks of the actual 9-11 to actually enlist and join in the Marines. Now, his mom was super proud of him because it was like, oh, shit, you're actually going to do something with your life because at this point, like he was like on the sh- in and out of the streets, panhandling, getting picked up for like petty theft and, you know, little stupid crimes and whatnot, kind of just kind of being like a like a, a burden on society, if you will. But he was actually going to do something with his life. And uh, his mom was so proud of him that she makes the glorious decision of once he enlists into the Marines of buying him a gun. Now, this is the same gun that was used in this nightclub shooting. Uh, but in November of 2003, he's actually discharged from the Marines. And I guess later on down the line, he doesn't tell anybody why he's discharged or whatnot. They, they give him, I guess, like it's called a Section 8 discharge, which, you know, I guess in military terms, is not a dishonorable, which is not an honorable discharge. Uh, but it's also not public housing assistance either. Uh, but he's discharged and it later comes out that it's because he has paranoid schizophrenia. He's actually diagnosed with that. Uh, and when they discharge him, they actually discharge him to a VA hospital uh, to get him set up with, you know, medication and like a treatment plan. You know, we talked, we just did an episode about mental health in America, but unfortunately he declined all treatment because he didn't believe like he needed it. And it's about this time that people that knew him, people who were quote unquote friends started to see like a dramatic change in his behavior. He had an imaginary pet dog. Uh, He started rocking back and forth kind of like, and this is not me saying this because I know you like to say that I bring this up a lot, like the character from Mice and Men, uh, he would have like those characteristics uh, as well as he started to talk about how Pantera was stealing his ideas and stealing lyrics from him, thus trying to steal his identity. So he kind of had like this love-hate relationship for Pantera because people described him as like a diehard Pantera fan. Uh, it was the first thing he listened to in the morning, the last thing that he listened to at night. And if anybody, you know, such as like art said anything bad about Pantera, he would dwell on it for the entirety of a, of a whole day. Uh, one person said that they didn't like Pantera, that they were kind of like a shitty knockoff of like Megadeth or Metallica or whatever. And he just got super quiet, like uncomfortably quiet. And like everybody's hanging out and they're driving to Taco Bell or the Sonic or whatever it is in Marysville, Ohio or whatever. Right. And he like just dwells on it. You can tell like that he's thinking about it, but he's super quiet and he like brings it up in a really hostile way. You mean to tell me you don't like Pantera at all? And it's about this time, like where all these things are happening, that people are kind of slowly distancing themselves away from Nathan Gale. Cause they're just like, dude, there's just something off about this guy ever since he got discharged from the Marines. Yeah. Apparently like, um, 
you know, he, he was a big Pantera fan, but like, um, he started writing his own music mm-hmm. and, um, every time his friends would be like, Hey, why don't you play one of those songs you've been writing? Like he was always too shy to, to yeah. perform them, which set, like, at the time it sounds adorable. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, I just, I can only imagine he's like going up there and he's like, all sh- fucking shy to like sing it. But, but you're right. The mental health part of it was definitely, uh, an issue. The fact that he was on medication he was taking medication for his, uh, for his schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one point he just decides to like, be like, fuck it. Like, and not take it. And doesn't tell anyone that he's not taking his medication anymore. And, um, this is really when things start going ape shit. Cause as, as you mentioned, he, he had been telling people that I think like vulgar display was like, he wrote all the, like all the lyrics and like the guitar work on that. <laughs> and he's like, they didn't even give me credit. And I yeah. wrote all that guitar, guitar and the lyrics. And um, then he started saying that like, y- y- like not so much so that they were, they, they were, uh, that they were just stealing, but like they were going to steal his whole identity. Like they, right. you're like, it was like a full on identity theft case. And he said he had lawyers on it and all this stuff. And like, but never had any evidence to it. And, um, I, I guess he just didn't come across as that kind of guy. Like everybody said that he was super lovable. So mm-hmm. yeah. Like, uh, the, the guy from mice and men, what, it, what he also reminded me of too, is uh full metal jacket. You remember exactly yeah. yeah vincent d'onofrio how he, he he goes in like just kind of this like lovable big oaf or whatever and kind of comes out of it like this psychopath or whatever right like that basic training like something there's something that's done there and i've had like friends who have gone through that basic training and they come out just a little bit different or whatever right and then you got somebody that's like got a you know if they have paranoid schizophrenia and they're going through that and he's being discharged like halfway through his tour and he comes out way different than what his friends are, you know, saying like something happened there. Uh, but we never know what happens or whatnot. Uh, but he does start saying other stuff too, like God has put him on this earth on a mission to kill Marilyn Manson. Uh, they also said that it's about this time too. Like he actually was started wearing like these super thick glasses and people would start teasing him about it, saying that they're birth control glasses because no girl would, in their right mind would ever sleep with a guy with those thick of a glasses and whatnot. So you can start to see, like, the beast start to roll. Yeah, you know, um, I, I didn't do as much research as you did on this guy, but the similarities between this guy and the guy that I do cover are starting to show themselves a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like those insecurities and like the teasing and all that stuff, like it all, it all starts to come full circle. Yeah. Uh, but to this day, we don't have a for sure motive cause it's not like he went on HN and posted his, his manifesto. I guess they searched uh, his apartment where he was living at. They didn't find any evidence of anything. They didn't even find any Pantera, which is weird. Like in, you know, magazines or anything as much as an obsessed fan that he was, they didn't find anything like in his apartment and whatnot, but what everyone kind of goes back to, uh, whether this happened or not, whether he said, you know, you're the reason that Pantera broke up, you know, when he said that to Dimebag, um, what they kind of, everyone kind of points to as well as Vinnie Paul is that in, um, right before Pantera broke up, like in 2003, Phil Anselmo was being interviewed by a UK magazine metal hammer. And he said that Dimebag deserves to be severely beaten 
and they they point to that as like oh okay he was at this time he was siding with phil anselmo someone that does deal with a lot of anger issues who does speak to like that caveman you know those 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 uh aggro males that you do see you know sparsely throughout the metal community that instead of which with the majority of the metal community like when pantera broke up majority of them like sided with the abbott brothers right but there is there was a small faction that sided with phil and they think that he might have been a part of that small faction and he might have been motivated by that article now we don't have any direct evidence of it but a lot of people including vinnie paul believe that that's what motivated him to do what he did against dimebag yeah no uh I mean, it's possible that that was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I I don't I don't blame Phil for that. Like, obviously, Phil, what he said was like completely irresponsible, and I'm sure he's he's uh, I don't know if he's ever walked. I'm sure he has walked those comments back, but mm-hmm. like, because he's he's kind of made amends with um, with Dimebag's wife. I know that um, that uh, that he never made amends with um, Benny with Vinny, with Vinny Paul, he never made any amends with him, but like, uh, but Dimebag's wife did forgive him and like was okay with him. And like, uh, although she said like, if he shows up to, to the funeral, like, like she was going to have him like get like jumped or something like <laughs> something ridiculous like that. But like, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, his, his comments were definitely troubling, troublesome, like not really something you should say. Even if even if you felt that way, like felt that strongly about him, like you don't know, like there's asshole fans everywhere, and like mm-hmm. you don't know how people are gonna take things and like react to things. Um, uh, I also really quick side note on the whole Pantera thing and the Pantera beef. Um, I uh, I'm a I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, and um, I don't know if it's still like this, but whenever you do like if you go to the nine shells website, it'll show you like all the albums that Trent Reznor's worked on. And, um, and like kind of, you know, like, you know, the David Bowie stuff and like all the nine shells album, like the quick soundtrack and all these, like, you know, gone girl soundtrack. And all of a sudden you see that all the Pantera album, well, not all of them, but like the major, the lar- the more famous Pantera albums are on there. Mm-hmm. And he adds a note, like Trent Reznor adds a note saying like, I didn't work on these albums, but like, I just fucking love these albums and like I included them on here cause they're that important. And so that it was the only artist, only other artist like that. Like he didn't, I do think that Phil does record vocals for one of their, one of their albums. What's the album with the snake on the cover? Oh, the great Southern um, trend kill. Yeah. Phil and Samo recorded those vocals at Trent Reznor studios in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, there's really no tie between the two bands. Uh, I just think Trent Reznor was just a fan of the band. So like kind of gave them props on that. Yeah. And um, I know we mentioned that, you know, they, they were the, they were like the heavy metals answer to Van Halen. And I thought this was like a sweet uh, thing that Vinnie Paul said, Dimebag's last words were Van fucking Halen, because I guess before they went on stage, like kind of like, like as a, as a word to like pump them up, like it was always like they looked at each other in their eyes and they kind of gave them they gave each other a fist bump. And they always say Van Halen and Dimebag would hit him back and say Van fucking Halen. And that was just like the code word for them to like just lay it all out. And they said like that was like the actual last word that uh, 
Dimebag ever said. And um, I guess at his funeral, um, Eddie Van Halen actually put in the actual guitar that's on Van Halen too, which was you know Dimebag's favorite guitar. Actually put it in his casket, and I was like, dude, that's fucking badass. Like your last words are Van Halen, and Van Halen puts his actually fucking famous ass guitar in your casket. That's some badass shit. Yeah, man, that was a pretty touching moment. Like, um, it was, I think at one point, Dimebag had asked for like a, an exact replica of the guitar, mm-hmm. and um, I guess, you know, never really got to give him one. And then, and then apparently, like, the whole thing was like, I'm not going to give you a replica, I'm going to give you the original. Because, like, an original deserves the original kind of thing. Yeah. It was a beautiful, beautiful, like, touching statement. So it was like, you know, um, it's, it's, I can only imagine, like, to be a, such a fan of somebody and then they give you, like, their most iconic signature thing. It'd be like getting, like, the Prince guitar, you know, mm. like, yeah. you know, like the, that Prince shape guitar kind of thing but like yeah that's a pretty iconic guitar to have the original one with with Dimebag like it's it's fitting that it's you know it's it's probably where where it should be as opposed to being on some like museum hard, wall hard or rock something. hotel in Las Vegas So uh, we got cut off there because Zoom does that cute thing where it cuts us off after 40 minutes. But uh, yeah, it was a touching tribute. Um, just no art if I ever die um, when I pass away. I just need you to put this guitar <laughs> in my casket when that happens, all right? Because I'm assuming you you're going to outli- outlive me here. So that what I'm holding up for those who are just listening to uh, the audio version of this podcast, you're watching on YouTube, I'm holding actual uh dean from hell that uh dime bag it's a replica obviously a dime bag girl didn't give it to me but it's one that i bought in guitar center probably like 15 20 years ago but yeah solid ass guitar i know copper kelly always wanted to watch uh take a gander at it so making his official debut on the podcast so there you go so with that said art on to the on to the next case yeah i mean like i said that there are similarities in these two guys, but not not that much. I'm gonna tell the story a little bit backwards on mine. So we know it's a stalker. We know this is the stalker of of Bjork. A lot of people just know him as Bjork Stalker, but I'm gonna give him a name. His name is Ricardo Lopez. I didn't realize that he was a a Latin brother um, until I started doing research. He 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 is one of the original uh, Latin kings of. <laughs> comedy um but um yeah before, no, before um, joey medina got involved before joey diaz uh <laughs> there was uh ricardo lopez uh no but um so let me just tell you a little bit about this let me tell you the story of how most people found out about this so i believe this was on september 16th on september 16th most people started to most people in this apartment complex in Hollywood, Florida started to complain of a foul smell. The people underneath his apartment started noticing that there was like goo dripping down from the walls from his apartment. Oh my God. Um, so they tell the landlord and the landlord goes to check it out. 
only to find a badly decomposed body of Ricardo oh, Lopez in, in there. And now keep this in mind. This is the fucking Florida summer, right? Or September oh, is still pretty fucking hot as hell in Florida. The so, humidity. Like, so this dude's body was like decomposing as fuck. And, and I don't know if you know how dead bodies work, but uh, once a body, or you know, I don't know if you ever had like had an animal or something or seen an animal die or something like that, like the body starts letting out all the fucking fluids. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how fucking Ugh. tough that is for that landlord. Like if I was that landlord, dude, like I'm cashing in that retirement check tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> this, I'm done. Yeah, I am done. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, they, they find him. They find his apartment. His apartment's a fucking mess. Like there's just, there's like Chinese food everywhere. There's like videotapes everywhere. His obviously his like fucking naked body is like on the ground and like they're just like, well, what the fuck did we stumble into here? Oh god. Um he has all these things written on the walls. Like it's just it's very much like walking into a horror movie here. Um it doesn't take them long to realize that it was a suicide. Um especially because apparently and i want everyone to visualize this the way it's set up he kind of has this backdrop um and like he shaves his head he paints his face in like this very darth maul looking face paint and uh decides to shoot himself with the camera pointing at him so obviously he wants people to know what the hell he was thinking before he commits suicide so the the police investigators get there they find a tape in the in the the vhs recorder <laughs> and the um sounds like a very primitive thing but he he was recording on like vhs tapes mm-hmm. those little vhs tapes so they find it and it says my last tape i believe that's what it was labeled um i believe it was called something like that like my last tape or something um so basically he goes in on detail saying i'm not drunk i don't want anyone to think i'm high or i'm drunk or i'm mentally ill i'm not depressed i'm doing this because i know exactly what i'm doing right now like this is something i've had in mind for a long time um and he had it synced the whole thing was synced to where uh he had a bjork song playing in the background and and when the song ended he was gonna do it Mm -hmm. he was gonna shoot himself in the face um so we know that this dude commits suicide but let's Let's learn a little more about him. So this guy, um, he was not born in September, but he was born in January 14th. Not a, but the September 11th does play a part into this guy's life. So we'll keep that in mind. But anyways, he, um, he was an above average intelligence kind of guy. Um, everybody said that he was really, really smart, but really, really shy, really, really reserved growing up. He did suffer from a from a medical condition called, and I'm gonna butcher the fuck out of this, called Kinnerferta syndrome. Sounds good. Uh, Apparently, apparently that most people call it KS, and I'm just gonna keep calling it KS because I have no idea. Uh, But apparently, it's like when there's an additional copy of an X chromosome in the male body. Uh, So it's. It's, I had never heard about this, but 
this is good. You know, this is where the show stops being PG 13. It's about to get rated R here. Uh, but apparently it's when um, there's an extra X chromosome. But what results in this is usually an above average height in males. Oh, wow. Um, above like abnormally large hips in males. Um, above, so no facial hair. So typically these guys tend to not be able to grow facial hair. They're abnormally tall, have abnormally large hips. I did see something that they have abnormally large, abnormally large, abnormally small genitalia, mm. and like their pubic hair grows like a woman's pubic hair. Which I didn't know what the fuck that meant. I still don't know what the hell that means. Because don't I? It's like a landing strip. Like, or what? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, uh, that doesn't just grow like that. Dude. Yeah, like, yeah. You gotta shave or wax that shit. Yeah. You got a fucking there's some work involved in this shit. There's some yeah. gardening going on. <laughs> uh so I didn't get that. Joey Medina but, has to go in and fucking get his fucking weed whacker. Yeah, no. Yeah, dude. Um, there's some shit going on there. Uh, but the funny thing about it is like in my head, I think I've seen dudes like that that are like, dude, you're pretty tall and you got big old hips, dude. <laughs> and you got a lot of facial <laughs> hair. Hey, where's the I'm pretty sure there, your fucking dude? pubic hair grows like a woman's. Yeah, I was like, let me see that pew, dude. That better <laughs> not be a landing strip down there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know what that meant because I, I always just assume like pubes is growing like fucking yeah. jungle status. Yeah. So I don't know, dude. But anyways, he he was convinced that he was going to grow up to be a star. Um so he basically drops out of high school. His family lets him just drop out of high school. Um, he is like the baby of the family too, which I think kind of like lends himself to like, mm-hmm. you know, getting away with a lot of bullshit. So like, um, so he drops out of high school. He can't land any auditions or anything like that. He's just really shy and uncomfortable with himself because of his body. He just kind of always feels like out of place. Um, he has a lot of friends, like a lot of guy friends, but he, everyone would always say that when it came to girls, like he had, he just would get shy, be quiet, not talk to them. And like, never had a girlfriend, never had any, any, like basically any drive or motivation. He does eventually get a job at his brother's, uh, pest control, uh, just basically typical, like fumigation guy. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't even drive. His brother does all the driving. He uh, does have a tape where he talks about how he feels like a big failure because he's going to, he thinks he's going to die without ever getting his driver's license. And like, he just, you could just tell confidence level, not that high. Zero. Yeah. He's just, he does talk about how uh, he, he is obsessed with all these actresses and all these things. And like, he is documenting all of these all of these thoughts into his camcorder because he has hundreds and hundreds of tapes where he just documents these like abstract thoughts about how he's obsessed with all these beautiful actresses and like um, before Bjork is even ever even in the picture. Um, I guess at one point he uh, while he's documenting, he has like MTV on in the background. And the Bjork video for human nature is on in the background. And um, uh, he instantly becomes like obsessed and like starts going down the road of like, he's obsessed with Bjork. 
So as he just starts going down this road, this is like pre-internet time period where he's like using his dial up as internet to like find out any information. Uh, but apparently he finds like a Vanity Fair article or something like that, where like the news breaks that she's dating a musician called Goldie, who is a black musician. At this point, he has like convinced himself that they have a life together and like that they're meant to be together, even though he, he doesn't view it as like a sexual thing. He can't imagine himself ever like having sex with Bjork. It's always just like a platonic relationship that he views himself having like, but like an in love platonic relationship. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know how to explain it, dude. This is like some fucking, I hate using this term, but this is like some fucking like beta mill shit. Yeah. No, (laughs) it's a total. This Yeah. This is like some weird. That's that's appropriate to say. Yeah. 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 Weird shit's going on here. But uh, uh, basically he, he's like totally like in love with Bjork. But when he finds out that she's dating Goldie and Goldie is a black man, he goes ape shit. Like he is just like goes on all these racist rants, uh, just dropping the end bomb left and right. Wow. Uh, hates the fact that she she's with the, she's dating a black man. Uh, he talks about how she was so pure and like now she's like tainted because of him and like from that point on he goes into like berserker mode where he's just gonna basically like i'm gonna kill her he's just basically telling himself like i'm gonna have to kill her um and his family does worry about him like you know his family can tell there's something wrong with him you know he's still working for his brother so his brother is still seeing him on a regular basis um but he constantly he like i said he was a really smart guy he was very manipulative and um still convinced his family that hey i'm good everything's good i'm working Uh, i'm working on getting my driver's license eventually and never really adds up to anything so his family just lets it slide and he starts going deeper and deeper into this like downward spiral of madness as he as he uh falls like more in love with bjork and like more hatred for for bjork at the same time um and he starts to develop all these different plans. At first, his original plan was to send her a box full of needles that were that had like HIV blood on them, and it was going to spray at her face and like mm-hmm. inject her with like HIV. Uh, and he has all these prototypes to like do that. And then he eventually says, "No, that's you know too many things can go wrong." And then he eventually comes up with the plan, and it's actually like a pretty fucking genius plan, but. At this time period, a lot of Bjork's albums were had been concept albums, and she still pretty much does concept album after concept album. But um, he knew that, and he said that he knew that her prior work had been uh, viewed as like let's make a movie into it, uh, make a movie out of it, and um, and he basically sends her a a book with a bomb built into it. So when she opens the book, she would basically have like acid, like an acid bomb would blow up in her face and like melt her face off basically. Mm -hmm. And um, he goes through with it. He actually understands that the likelihood of him getting caught is very high. So he, but he understands like first they would 
look into in the country and then realize that it came from out of the country. So the whole plan is, is set up like this. He's going to send her a, a letter basically saying, we're really interested in your music. And we want to make it into a film. Go ahead and read the script and tell us what you think. She would basically open up the book. The bomb would explode, either melting her face off or killing her. Um, then I think it's the, the, I forgot what the, the FBI is over there. It's like the London Yard or something like that. Oh, Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard. Yeah. yeah. The Scotland Yard would get involved. And um, then they would realize that that bomb came from the United States. And then the CIA would get involved and they would basically hunt them down and arrest them. And he was like, I ain't going to fucking prison. Like, I'm not going to make it in prison. Mm. So I'm just going to kill myself. So that was his game plan. Like, I'm going to send it and then kill myself. And basically executes everything perfectly. He sends it off. It's actually like literally hours from her arriving at her house when when the bomb is intercepted. And it's only intercepted because of the neighbors finding the blood dripping down into their house, into their like apartment complex and um, the, the foul smell. Um, they find the video, they find him and he's just basically the, the bomb is intercepted. One of the things that I do think is, is very interesting and um, this is kind of plays into like the whole Bjork thing. Bjork does eventually find out. They tell Bjork like, Hey, we're glad we intercepted the bomb. You might want to get more security. Cause we don't know if that was the only bomb. Um, Bjork actually reaches out to his family and like sends his family flowers and a card and like basically just like feeling terrible. And like Bjork, was later interviewed about that and she talks about how like she's like i'm i'm at a point mentally where like i don't hold any anger towards him like because of what he did like it was a mental illness and all this stuff and like the dude was clearly mentally disturbed and like yeah. very very like fucked up you know um but it does take a level of like of like maturity to be like okay with someone who just tried to kill you yeah uh, it, it is pretty brutal. I think she, she also mentions how like she was not that worried for herself. She was more worried that her kids would have been like killed in the, in the, in the bombing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty brutal ass, like way of going after it. Like it's pretty sadistic. It's pretty calculated. Um, it, I remember the first time I heard about this case was when I was watching it on like some BH one thing of like when fans go too far or something like that. And they showed a video clip of it. And I was like, fuck, they, they showed a video clip of the dude, like with the, with the fucking Darth Maul face paint, like looking all crazy in his bedroom. Um, and I didn't realize this. And if anyone is interested at all, I don't know why anyone would be interested in this. But there's about 27 videos uploaded onto YouTube of this dude's like crazy rambling. If anyone wow. is interested in watching that fucking crazy rambling, and you can literally see him spiraling into madness. Like, never is he just okay. He's always kind of off. But mm -hmm. from the point that the videos start to the point where like the dude is like fucking naked with face paint on his face, about to blow his brains out, you can totally see that the he decline. went down this. Yeah, the decline is clearly there. And that's what's and crazy. Like, 
you, you sorry, mentioned sorry. that there was a lot of similarities, but then, you know, a lot of dissimilarities between the two guys. But I, I do th- like that. If there's one similarity that we can land on, it's just that, yeah, there was a definite decline. I'm reading here on his uh, Wikipedia how like, you know, he was, you know, Mr. Lopez, he was actually treated by a psychiatrist for his anxiety. And the psychiatrist said, you know, he wasn't dangerous. Same thing with Nathan Gale. Uh, you know, he, he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. But a lot of people that knew him throughout his life was like would never describe him as a dangerous person. Yeah, he was a big, a big puppy basically, but he would never intentionally try to hurt, n- n- become a mass shooter. You know what I'm saying? But um, that like there's like that that point, that divergence point where like all of a sudden shit starts to go wrong, where it's just like you're 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 not sane, but you're 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 okay, you're functioning, and then all of a sudden it's just like boom, something you just fall off the cliff. Yeah, I think that just as a society, like both guys, like both guys should should set off red flags. And I think that's where as a society we need to do better because like we know about these guys because like one like killed Dimebag like and then the other one like had this like crazy plot to blow up Bjork's face kind of thing. Like, yeah. And like, like that's how we know about these but then there's like all these like creepy like like I guarantee you like ask you know like five women in your life that you know and ask them if they've ever had like a creepy stalker or something in their life I almost guarantee you like like three of the five are gonna say yeah at one point like this one mm-hmm. thing happened it was kind of weird I, I almost guarantee you like it's so common and so normal that it's 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 scary like that the scary part that stalking and all this shit is normal but we always see these guys we always see these like creepy shy weirdos and we're like oh they're harmless dude like mm-hmm. but to someone they're not they're not fucking harmless like they're fucking yeah. ruining someone's life day in and day out and they're like worried for their safety kind of thing yeah um and i guess you know to tie them both in i don't know how much time we have on on this uh before we get cut off <laughs> But um, but to tie them all together, like tie them both together, because one of them was like super smart and calculated and like fucking, mm-hmm. you know, like borderline anal about everything. And then the other one was kind of like, oh, man, this fucking talking dog is over here. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go shoot him kind of thing. Like he couldn't even get his first couple of plans. Right. He kept knocking over guitars and shit like mm-hmm. breaking but, lights. Yeah. But breaking lights like but they were both like determined to do like straight up evil because they in their head they were convinced that these people owed them this Mm -hmm. you know gratitude or like that these two that this entity entity was like tied to them kind of thing Mm -hmm. um i don't know i mean besides it does speak to the power of music though because i mean you you said it multiple times we're a couple of music nerds and there's artists that like I just I have genuine love for as people and as artists just because I their music has meant that much to me. But it's never meant that much to me where it's just like, oh, fuck, they broke up. It's like it's time to kill Lars Ulrich because he made some kind of monster. <laughs> like it's never been to that point. But for some people that, you know, are not mentally stable, like I get that point of love, you know, love for that artist or, you know, genuine, you know, romantic feelings for a Bjork. Not necessarily a fan of her music, but she is a very attractive woman, a very, very interesting soul. And so I can see how somebody like, you know, Mr. Lopez 
would fall, you know, in love with her in that regard and then be so torn up, you know, by her. That's fine. It fucking pisses me off that you got that mad that she was dating a black man that he would pull some shit like that. That's that's fucking disgusting. But like that, like that love, like it's always a thin line between love and hate. You know, that classic Martin Lawrence fucking movie or whatever. Right. But like to me, like that, like that's weird. Like where does like that point where it stops being love and it just turns into hate like that always interests the fuck out of me. Like, I know you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, like they're the more, probably the most famous case of a stalker, you know, that was so obsessed with an artist is the John Lennon case. Dimebag actually died on the 24th anniversary of John Lennon being murdered by one of his fans as well. And again, like Art said, we'll cover that for sure, for sure, you know, in an upcoming episode somewhere down the line. But it's just like, God, damn, where, where is that point? Where is that line? You know, and when does that get blurred? Yeah. You know what? What else is crazy? So like uh, the September 11th thing. So mm-hmm. the thing about the, about Lopez is um, he when he kills himself. So like the video is being recorded on like September 11th. Yeah. Uh, his final video is recorded on September 11th. And I think like right at midnight is like when he planned it for the song to end mm-hmm. uh, the the Bjork song. Um, and he has like this giant thing in like painted in the background saying like, this is for you. And it ends at midnight. So it, it, technically it, he kills himself on September 12th, but the whole plan yeah. is like on September 11th. It's kind of a weird coincidence, but, and the, I did not, when I pitched this idea of like, hey, let's cover these two guys. I didn't know that there was this much September 11th. <laughs> uh stuff going on <laughs> one guy's but, life um, begins and another's ends yeah yeah yeah, there's a yeah lot of... um sorry go ahead oh no i said yeah there's a lot of weird coincidence like just like the, they're both humongous dudes you know like nathan gale 6'3 266 and whatnot i don't know if that plays anything into it like if you see a big that guy you know his name's richard incognito <laughs> watch <Yeah>. out for <laughs> but so, like I'm, I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to say any names, but there is a dude that we both know who's like a big, like dumb dude. Mm-hmm. And like, he does strike me as the kind of guy who would do some shit like this. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's like, dude, you're a, you're a big dude who like, like if like Papa Roach broke up, he would be like really heartbroken. <laughs> or Kid Rock. <laughs> He's like, dude, Papa Roach, dude. Dude, that was my, that was my papa. He's like, <laughs> I didn't have a dad growing up, so Papa Roach became my surrogate daddy. Became um, my surrogate papa. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, but I mean, I mean, I hate to be stereotypical, but you do see that in media. You know, I mentioned Mice and Men. You know, the main, I think his name's Lenny. That character, that's Nathan Gale and Mr. Lopez. Fucking, I mentioned fucking Full Metal Jacket. Fucking, I think it's Vincent D'Onofrio. He plays the guy that, you know, yeah, gets yeah, himself, yeah. who goes crazy at the end. Like, it's very much the same stereotypical dude. So it's like, there is, there's got to be some, even, uh, what's his name? Ed Gein. Same shit, dude. Like, it's like, there's a pattern there. Yeah, no, there, there definitely is. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, what, what was that girl we had on when we did uh, Wendigo? Oh, Patty. Yeah, like she uh, she had all these like crazy stories like of like things that had happened to her. But like I 
I always think like like some of the scariest stories you can tell are like shit that's happened to like people that have been stalked because like mm-hmm. stalking stories are like I listened to this podcast called um uh let's not meet and a lot of them are stalking stories but and like I would say like of those stalking stories like 85% of them are like women so like I know that there's like some crazy shit that happens that I'm just like oblivious to but I can only imagine like that that needs to be its own podcast. I think mm-hmm. reach out to Patty and be like, "Yo, you need to start that podcast." Really, like, you have women tell their crazy stories. Yeah, I got to reach out to on that. Yeah, but um, yeah, Dave Chappelle has a really good analogy for that. Where I guess like he did like a comedy show, and they paid him like in cash, and it was something fat, like it was like twenty thousand. Let's just say it's twenty thousand dollars, right? And he was in yeah. New York, and he had to take the subway. And I'm picturing in my mind, it's like the first Ninja Turtles movie. It's like janky and then like the Foot Clan are like in the one corner and then you got the Joker in the other corner or whatnot, right? And like he said, it's like totally janky. I'm paranoid. I got like $20,000 in cash on me. Like everybody is like my enemy at this point. Like I'm I'm afraid for my life. Like I'm going to get killed for like this $20,000 or whatnot, right? And he goes, as the train was going, you know, to whatever destination or subway was going to his destination or whatnot, like he started to think and ponder and he goes, oh, wow. This is what women must feel like all the time. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. That's definitely a, a thing. You know, it's crazy you bring up Dave Chappelle because Dave Chappelle has like one of them, you know, not that the guy that attacked Dave Chappelle on stage is a stalker, but like, I don't, did they ever come out and say like, this is, I know he had some like bullshit thing, like, oh, I don't like that. He's saying like transphobic stuff. Like, like <laughs> it was just, it just seemed like some like, kind of like put together story thing but like that is where like whether you agree or not like whether you're like oh man i don't like bjork dating black guys or i don't like like (laughs) i don't like dying bag like stealing my songs or whatever it may be whatever like crazy thing that you've convinced yourself that like you don't like it so you're the answer to like fixing the thing that you don't Mm -hmm. like like oh i don't like that dave Chappelle says like transphobic things so i'm gonna go like punch him with a wooden gun or whatever he was in his game plan was <laughs> a gun with a knife in it yeah yeah it's like i don't know what the hell the game plan is but that's like some psychotic shit like that mm. was one of the underreported things about that thing it's like dude like this is not a comedians need to be scared of of their of their whereabouts like that's just like humans in general like we're just in that point with society where like this happened to Dimebag and like the bjork thing and like john lennon and like there seems to be this thing where it's like people, people in spotlights, you know, the minute that someone doesn't like the fact that you're rich and you're talking about like, you know, that's basically the dude that, you know, I don't want to spoil the lead on the John Lennon one, but the dude basically was mad at John Lennon for being rich mm-hmm. and like, and like viewed him as a hypocrite for doing that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it goes into like, I think we, we deify fucking celebrities and artists, you know, we make them into gods. We make them, more than mortal or whatever right and there's that train of thought but at the concurrent side of it where the same there's another train of thought going on at the same time where everybody thinks that they're the hero of their own movie so you got two of those things going on and once you realize you know that these people are human or they will let you down right to quote you know a nine inch nail song or whatever without kid rock singing the vocals (laughs) that 
you know, the, the, it's like that old saying says, never meet your heroes because they will let you down because they're human, just like you and I. And I think that at a certain point, as you get older, you realize like, oh, shit, you know, um, fucking Michael Jordan. You know, he's not a perfect individual. You know, the, the last dance came out and you realize, oh, wow, he's kind of a shitty dude. He can play the shit out of some basketball. He's probably the best basketball player of all time, but he's not a god. You know what I'm saying? He's not perfect. He's not Jesus. And I think this is where these people who are mentally in, unstable, they, they, don't, they don't ever have that moment of clarity. And at the same time, that moment of clarity never comes. They also believe that they're the fucking hero that needs to save the day. Yeah, no, I absolutely 100% agree with you. Um, yeah, that's it. Tell your mommy and boo with two shows. <laughs> no. um, yeah, no, I think that that's, that's actually a really good bow on the whole story. I mean, these two guys did have that hero complex that, that you know, we talked about it on the Patreon a little bit with that show, that, um, that alone show. And like people yes. just automatically, I mean, we all kind of do that to a certain extent. Like, but there is a point where like, how much do you like view yourself as like this main character type of thing? And we're all kind of egocentric mm -hmm. to a certain extent, but it's always the people that are like way over here on like the nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 egocentric people that are like the ones that are like, you know, gotta be careful with those people. And the, and like stalkers are pretty much that, like they think that these people that have never met each other, like oh, that the something. world should revolve around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, that said, Art, I cannot wait to do the John Lennon one. Uh, and I know there's plenty of other stories out there. I'm glad you picked this topic. I'm glad you picked the one that had fucking Pantera in it. One of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, but anyways, guys, uh, if you have anything to add to this, if you have a stalker story, if you're like my buddy Patty over there, uh, hit us up on all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America, except for Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob Do A1. Sorry, Jordan. That's just how a steak is done sometimes. Uh, but other than that, guys, if you want to help support this podcast, um, Art mentioned it a couple of times. We do have a Patreon. Uh, if you sign up to that Patreon, $1 a month gets you access to a bonus episode every single month. And nine times out of 10, those bonus episodes are more fire than the actual episode that you're hearing today for free. So, uh, again, this week is no exception. Art mentioned it. We mentioned the show alone, which opens up a whole plethora of other talk, uh, talking points that we jump into. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, we laugh. We cry. We do all the things. But anyways, head on over to Patreon. That's a good way to help support your boys as well as get some extra content. I think we're on Patreon number 109. Yeah, so $1 a month gets you access to a whole catalog to a whole other podcast you probably don't even know existed on the dark web. So hit us up over there or the deep web, I should say. It's not too dark. Uh, hit us up over there. Uh, if you want to help support this podcast in any other way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to artjacobdoamerica.com. Follow the merch links, which will take us take you to our official store on tpublic.com. Uh, we have currently have four designs up. Uh, and like I tell you guys, week in and week out. It's not so much to help us financially because we'll probably see 69 cents from, you know, a sweatshirt and a COVID mask that you might buy over there. But it's more or less to help get the good word of our podcast out there to the millions and millions of people out there that listen to podcasts. So when you walk around town with an Art Jacob Blue America shirt, or, you know, COVID has a new variant debating fucking, uh, you know, the, the vaccine as well as uh, uh, anybody that was previously infected. Get yourself a COVID mask. Uh, help promote this podcast by just wearing our merch. So head on over there. Uh, if you want to hear other great podcasts, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the Podbelly Network. 
uh, where you can listen to other great podcasts, such as our buddies over at the Sofa King Podcast, uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories, and Robots for Honest. So uh, check them out. Do all the things for them that you do for us. But other than that, Art, I'm tired. I'm hungry. My girlfriend needs to take a shower, so I got to go watch the baby. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add, my guy? Uh, that's it. Take my boo too. Um, yeah, I was going to say that that's a pretty good idea. Um, if people do send us their, uh, their stalker stories and like, you know, people, you can record a voicemail on, on, uh, Instagram. If people could just do that so we can fill an entire episode of, of those. That'd be cool. And we have like a really easy episode where we could just hit play on those. <laughs> uh, and then that's it. Cause, uh, we're going to have, I, I got to go to Hawaii at some point this year and, Mm. Halloween's coming up and Thanksgiving's coming up so if you guys could just do that shit and help us out a little bit with all your crazy stalker stories I'd really appreciate that yeah or just make them up if you want <laughs> yeah just make them up yeah. but some of the best ones are, are like are the real like where I, fuck some, some of the stories I hear I'm just like this is insane but anyways so, dude if we get enough of those we'll make a whole podcast out of it but other than that guys goodbye good night, and don't stalk nobody guys be good out there. All right. And finally, let us check in now with Steve Daniels of WTVJ in Miami to see what's news there. Steve? Hi, Edie. Here are some of the stories people are talking about here in South Florida today. And one of them is also in the international spotlight. It's a story about a rock singer and suicide, a story that stretches from Miami to London. The alternative rock singer known as Bjork says today in London she's distressed that a South Florida fan killed himself because of her. And the singer's spokesman had no comment about the 21-year-old suicide of uh, Richard Lopez. He's from Hollywood, Florida. His, uh, he later attempted to kill or seriously injure the singer Bjork with a mail bomb. Lopez videotaped his own suicide in his South Florida apartment. He also showed himself making a sulfuric acid bomb, which he said he was mailing to the object of his obsession, Bjork, in London. Police here notified Scotland Yard, which was able to find and detonate the acid bomb before it was delivered to her home in London. Another big story here today is the growing number of meningitis-related cases being like reported. That, Anna, it's like this. Then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode.